Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. From a pizza boy, that's right, pizza boy, to running a nationally recognized franchise. Yep, that's Rami Ikmore, who, by the way, wanted to make something of himself beyond whatever anyone expected from him. After leaving war-torn Lebanon, he and his family relocated to Australia and set up in West Sydney. Rami didn't excel at school. Wasn't his thing. Couldn't even really speak the language. But he knew how to seek out opportunities. And the thing that stuck was customer service. Knowing how to serve people, by the way, in the hospitality industry, but how to serve people. And from that, along with his partner and his wife, was born Rushes. That's right, he and his business partner, who, by the way, was his girlfriend at the time, set up their first restaurant in Liverpool. That's Sydney's Southwest. They had no bloody idea what they're doing, but they threw everything at it regardless. They've now got over 50 Rasho's restaurants across the east coast of Australia. Now, that is what I call growth with massive turnover. And it's a very, very good business model from the point of view of being a franchise. We are going to get into the details of how the Rache's franchise model operates. That's important. How they rely on data. And I'm going to talk about, by the way, what happened to Rami during the COVID lockdowns. That's important because, again, it was him being opportunistic and making sure that everything he did represented his brand. So let's get into it. Igmore, welcome to The Mentor, mate. Thanks for having me. Actually, I've been thinking about you for a long time uh, getting you on the show because... uh, you know, I see your stuff rushes everywhere, um, all over the joint, because um, I travel a fair bit in and out of the West particularly. Um, but I don't want to talk about it just yet. Let's just go back a little bit um, and find out. I want to find out, like, how the hell would you end up getting into the food industry? What's your history of food? Yeah, absolute accident, mate. So I I started off as a pizza hut driver, to be honest with you. Like delivery driver? Delivering full on, man, like delivering pizzas. And then, you know, I got to look in the kitchens and work out how they cook the food. And I thought, hey, I could do this. Pizza Hut, did you say? Pizza Hut. The, the you don't see them anymore, Pizza Hut. You don't see them, well, I haven't seen one for ages. Yeah. Are they around still these days? Mate, Domino's is quite big, so they've given them a good a good run for their money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you were a delivery driver for Pizza Hut, delivering pizzas. Funny, one of my sons used to be a, a pizza delivery guy um, in uh, around where we live and um, uh, he would know the first thing. He didn't take any notice of anything other than he didn't particularly like the dude he used to, who used to make the pizzas. But when you're in those environments – what is your natural instinct? No, you know what? When I got the job, I was like so proud, honestly, mate. So I was, you know, at school, I didn't go really well. You know, lived in a housing commission area. And it was just out of the re- after recession. So it was about 93. 
And just to get the job and be working for a global brand, I like, you know, I was, I was in awe. So I wanted to learn everything. I was just intrigued. I'd get in there, watch them do end of day, you know, when they counted the money. How That's they the best part. Delivery, all everything else. I was really, no, I was very intrigued. I was. Well, yeah. so where'd you grow up? What area? Where, where? I grew up in Bonnerig. Bonnerig, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so out. Out west, west. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's sort of, well, in those days it was far west. It's not these days, but it was sort of far west in those days, in uh, the 90s. Absolutely, mate. Yeah, it was right out there, yeah. So yeah, we because were, it was, uh, I, I used to get my dog's mind. There used to be a lot of places that they used to look at, like dog kennel places. You used to be able to take your dog out and then they look after him for a week or something like that. Mm. A lot of people used to sell dogs out there too. I used to go out there and I used to buy, I bought a lot of dogs out that way. More around, um, I think, Leppington. Leppington, yeah. Around those sort of areas. Yeah. But, of course, it's much different now. It's, uh, it's full-on, like, uh, sophisticated, expensive houses, good cars. It's There's big incomes out there now. Absolutely. And, they, and they spend. They look after themselves. You know, they, 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 they actually entertain themselves. They don't mind going out as a family. Yep. Which is an important part of probably a, a business like yours because you're good to attract families. But So you're a pizza delivery driver, but you tell me, what did you learn? Like, I mean, when you say you used to – get fascinated with what they were doing, particularly counting the money at the end of the day. How do you go about that as a young bloke? I mean, do you butt in or do you uh, sort of say, can I watch? How, how did you learn? Yeah, I, look, I butted in. I was, I just found my own way. I was like, I always wanted to make something of myself. I knew that, I knew business was going to be my my go-to. You know, I didn't think anyone would ever employ me. You know, at school I was hopeless, so... The way I learned was just just watching people. I really got I was fascinated with how people behaved, you know how you, how you judge good staff and bad staff. I used to just you know just I was very very you know, very very um interested in the whole pro, in the whole process if you like. But did you get in their face like you're sort of like the boss or do you, I mean you have to did you ever make an annoyance of yourself or did you have anyone say hey listen dude get out of here? Or yeah, that? yeah mate, that, that's that's the guy I was. It was a guy that was just would stick my head in. You know, I'd go on making pizzas and I'd say, move out of the way, you know, that's not your job. But I'd, I'd get in there. You learn how to make pizza too, did you? I, I did. I forced my way into it because the driver was seen as as an outsider. So we weren't exactly part of the Yeah, the you team. all sit outside. Waiting. Waiting. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah. That's how my son used to be. You just have to sit outside with the other drivers yeah. and you weren't allowed into the kitchen. Correct. Except when you're allowed to get your pizza. Yeah. One pizza for you. Yeah. Like so, one pizza a night to, for 100%. your dinner. So what I'd do, Mark, I'd stay back and I'd like, after signing off, I'd go and sweep the floor, mop the floors for him, do whatever it took to just involve myself, be, be part of the team. And like what I said, I was very, very proud. So I was like, I didn't see it as a chore. I saw it as uh, a privilege, if you like. And what, 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 tell me your background then. So to see something like that, a privilege is especially these days, it's pretty unusual. Young people wouldn't see it like that. Um, what's your background such that it made you think, well, this is cool and really a big deal for me? Yeah, man. I grew up in the Civil War in Lebanon. So we escaped the Civil War in 1986. So, you know, I was 11 years old when I come to Australia and it was, how can I say, like, you know, we come from underprivileged. Like, we, you know, we barely, we used to have to line up for bread, you know, line up for days. In for Lebanon. Bread, in Lebanon. And some days not even get it, you know. And, you know, we'd go out there with my dad and slave away. So for us to just come to Australia, it was just a, it was massive, you know. Like, we, we saw grass. Like, that was huge, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even to live in a housing commission, like, I was still privileged. I didn't think I lived in a housing commission. I thought 
I lived in a house. Yeah, yeah. You know, with so, running water and uh, a bath and a shower and a toilet. Abs- electricity, 24 hours a day. Yeah, yeah. Like unbelievable. I had a TV, everything. So just, yeah, so I always, whatever I got as a youngster, I felt like it was massive. It didn't matter what it was. If you just go back to when you were 11 years of age um, and, and prior to that, um, how many of you were in the family? Yeah, there's six of us. So six of my mum and dad. So there's six eight of kids. Us. Yeah. yeah, all together. Yeah. Eight people. So, um, and the the war there was a war in Lebanon at the time, wasn't there? Correct. Like, yeah. Like it was, and uh, tell me about that. Like, I mean, most people don't get it. Like, they don't know what the hell was going on there. Um, tell me about the war. It's like more internal war. Civil yeah, war. Yeah, it, it was civil war. It was yeah. internal. Yes, yeah, between militia groups. And you know, to us as kids, it wasn't a big deal. But you know, to us, it was just war going on. We that's all we understood. But I tell you, there's a couple of things that I really I remember. You know, I never forget when my dad had a gun to his head. Yeah, you know what I mean. And he was on his knees. And the guy told him to get out of his face. He's, it's not worth playing my dad's head in front of his kids. So they're the moments that really stick with me, you know. So it was really, I don't, I don't know, they're the moments that really sort of, you know, moments like that. Quite amazing when you think that, you know, bombs are going off and bullets are getting fired in, in close proximity to where you're living. Oh, yeah, like to see bullets go shot across from building to building, that's just the norm. That wasn't a... That was no big deal. And would you have to hide or, I mean, do you, get, do you think you get, like, not traumatised, I'm not sort of trying to put a PTSD thing on you, but do you think there's, uh, you know, like it forms you, that sort of uh, lifestyle? Yeah, I, I think I think it's how your parents are around you too, like that fear that your parents have. As a child, I don't think you have fear. I can't remember ever being scared. Where, not wow. even, not even, not even ever any moment, you know. I remember running across crossfire. I, I never, I've, I could never honestly say I, I had a fear. I was scared. Not even now do I look back and think, "Oh my God, that was a scary moment." But I think what your parents, you know, your parents have that fear of maybe getting the next feed. I'm more, I'm, I'm more understand the fear not of dying from uh, gunshots or gun bullets or anything like that, but the fear of going poor or the fear, the fear of not having food to eat. Yeah, yeah. That's probably more the fear. And it's interesting that you end up working in Pizza Hut. I mean, when you come to Australia, I guess you couldn't speak English. No, zero. Yeah, zero yeah. So, so no wonder you didn't do good at school. Like, I mean, your formative years where are the, all the other kids are learning to read and write and, you know, arithmetic and shit like that, um, you, you're probably playing with the kids in the street and running across the road, like, uh, you know, trying to, and, you know, as you said, you know, experiencing a civil war. And But it doesn't mean you would never have been a good student. You ever think to yourself, you know, shit, I could have been a good student? You ever think that to yourself? Yeah. <sighs> Yeah, look, I'm glad. I, look, I'm glad. I'm never. No, I, I'm. I don't. I don't. I don't dwell on things. You know what I mean. So I, I can't. I can't really agree with that. But what I'm. But yeah, I definitely struggled. One hundred percent, man. Oh, I struggled. I sat in the back of the class and went, "What the heck are those guys talking about?" You know, I was trying to just pick up language. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And as you say, they're learning. You know, something. You know. So when you're sitting in the back of the class, oh, I'm curious. So you, you arrive in Australia at 11 or something, did you say? Mm. So that's like year six or five yeah. or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, five, yeah. Yeah, so uh, do you remember not being able to speak English thing? What the hell? Oh, yeah, I remember. I remember the I remember the young boy that had to walk me around to school, you know, because I couldn't help me communicate. I remember my Well, little, he would translate for you. He would translate for yeah. me, absolutely, yeah. So I remember my, my translator. Um, who's one of the Hussein brothers, actually one of the fighters, but anyway. Yeah, yeah. Just, well, just which that, one? Billy. Oh, Billy, yeah, yeah, yeah just, I know Billy, yeah. So just by, by coincidence and um, and then um, what do you call it? My cousin, my cousin says, listen, if you want to hang around me, who's the same age as me, he said, if you want to hang around me, you start speaking English. 
you know, and I'll never forget that, you know. So that was sort of, it maybe pushed me in the right way. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so so where was the school you went to? Uh, so when I first arrived, it was Belmore, Belmore North. Oh, yeah, Bel- yeah. Belmore North. Oh, I went to school in Lake Amber. Yeah, there you go, Just around the, the corner. corner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, so you, are you, so when you, you, well, you ran near the mosque or something, did we? Uh, yeah. In Halden Street. About four street. Oh, yeah, oh, five, yeah, block away. Yeah, 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 away. yeah. Okay, yeah. cool, yeah. yeah, yeah. I went to the, the little Catholic school just just like just at the back of Halden Street there. I don't know it was called St. John's in those days. Yeah, it was I know where you are. I know where you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's a catch train in the camper. So that's cool. You say, so, uh, okay, so you, Billy was your interpreter. <laughs> that's mm. mad. Mm. And uh, was he a boxer then? No, he wasn't a boxer. No, 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 no. no, no. Did they become family friends? Family oh, friends? Well, they were, we were already family friends, so we already knew his father was already – Knew my father and all the rest of us. But so, back from Lebanon? Oh, it could have been. So this is where the story is going to get a little bit confusing. I was born in Australia originally. Oh, really? And so went back to Lebanon? I went back to Lebanon when I was three years old. So wow. so whether they met my dad before yeah, or yeah, after, yeah. I'm not sure. But I know they come from the same village that we come from in Lebanon. So Yeah, yeah. Wow, yeah. that's that's cool. Yeah. Uh, so you had an interpreter at school, and uh, which is an interesting thing. Like I, I, I can't imagine how hard it would be. I'm imagining as an adult, but how hard it would be to go to another country and start speaking another language, especially if it's if it's not written the same as you know, you know Lebanese or Arabic yeah. is written in an unusual way and it sort of goes backwards or something, doesn't it? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so it was, everything's different. Yeah, that'd be a bit freaky. Um, and uh, so you realise already you're a little bit different than everybody else. You work in a pizza hut doing del- deliveries. So that sort of explains why you thought that is such a privilege. I mean, and and an opportunity. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think probably coming from where you came from, um, and sort of growing up the way you did, you probably recognise opportunities much better than most people. Uh, I think I think I did. Honestly, yeah. I think I did. And I think I still do. Yeah. It's just you're forced to look for opportunities. You're forced to look, and you know you can't. You're not the normal kid, right? So yeah, yeah. you're always looking for chance to make a friend, yeah, chance yeah. to fit in somewhere. So you're always looking for those opportunities. A chance to do better. A hundred percent. A chance to improve my lot. Yeah. So after Pizza Hut, what happened there? Where'd you get? Where'd you after? Matter, that? Well, it, it all continued at Pizza Hut. Really, I met my girlfriend at the time, and I said to her, "Listen, we could do what Pizza Hut does. Let's buy a pizza shop." And not a Pizza Hut, but a pizza a, shop. A pizza shop. Yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. then, uh, man, I had it convinced. Uh, and we ended up starting Rochers, which was a oh, really, which was a pizza shop slash coffee shop. Just like just like that at that age, young at age. At that age, at that age, yeah, yeah. And what's Rochers, by the way? What's it mean? So it's half my name. Yeah, uh, Rami yeah, R A yeah. R A. Yeah, and yeah. Shannon, my wife. So you put the S H A. Ah, right. And she come up with the. I thought it might have been like S H A Rochers. I mean, I wasn't sure whether there was a little bit of uh, punk going in there, a little bit of lad, <laughs> lad stuff. You know, I was expecting it tied to a vase to step up somewhere like that. Yeah, yeah, so it's, oh, it's Rache's got nothing to do with, uh, you know, Big Latin or anything like that. Nothing, mate. No, uh, nothing wow. with your lingo, no. Yeah, totally. That's mad. <laughs> That's crazy. So you've been together that, that whole period or is she still your business partner? or mate, what? yeah, still still my partner in life and still Oh, you married partner. to her? Yeah, yeah. yeah she's, the boss. She's the boss. Let's, yeah, let's, totally, let's, yeah. let's be straight. Yeah, yeah, yeah she, she, she is the boss. <laughs> is she Aussie or is she she's Lebanese? She's Aussie, man. She's full yeah. on Aussie. Yeah, yeah. You know, and what I was looking for, I was because I was looking for a business partner. Right, my English is not great. My reading yeah. and writing skills aren't great. So the fact that my girlfriend can read and write, that was like, and she knew how to make pizzas. She was a perfect fit. But did, did you meet her at Pizza Hut? I met her at Pizza Hut. Yeah, she was my manager. She was your boss. Yeah. She was my boss, man. Yeah, she yeah. was the boss. Yeah, but so, so he, but that's like the best um, opportunism I've ever seen. You know, you, you marry your boss, and together you go and <laughs> um, set up a business together. And 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 but by the way, what's great about it is you've. You've sort of, um, you know, called it the same, her name and your name put together. Like yeah. that's pretty cool too. Like uh, yeah. 
Is she like much older than you or? No, no, we're the same age. We're actually a day difference, mate. So she was born on the 15th of April. I'm born on the 14th of April. So she's a, an Aussie girl from oh, out, out west. Aussie girl from out west, yeah. She's actually born in Canada, but she's definitely full yeah, Aussie. Her parents yeah. are Australian, both born here. So when you set up Rache's, the very first pizza joint, so just take me back to that humble beginnings, those yeah. days. What, what was that like? Tell me what the joint looked like. Uh, where was it? Mate, so yeah, so my girlfriend at the time, or Shannon, um, my wife now, she was at the movies, at Liverpool movies, and she had a bit of an eye for business too. Well, she's still got an eye for business. And when she left the movies at Liverpool Westfields, she saw a corner shop for lease. It was an old paint, paint store. How old is she now? Just tell me the age. Yeah. At that, time, at that time? Oh, at that time, she's 22. Right. She, and she saw a place for lease. For lease, yeah. Had you been discussing opening a joint? We have, yeah. yeah. So we've been talking about that's sort of our romantic talk, if you like. That's, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, sort of yeah, that's what's yeah. going on in the. You know, so while That's we, not that romantic. Yeah. <laughs> so when I'm hanging out, I'm always, like what I said to you, I'm always looking for opportunities. Yeah, yeah. So obviously when I saw an opportunity, I saw her being a business partner, we started talking business. So that was one of the first shops we ever saw that was for lease, you know, that we can open as a pizza store. And she saw it and she called me. I'll never forget. It was 11 o'clock at night, straight after the movies. I said, I'll come down and have a look at it right now. It was that same night. I left my house and I went down and we sat outside the shop and we dreamt of what the shop could look like and where we'd put the tables and where we'd put the kitchen and all the rest of it. So, yeah, I was all. When you do something like that, like uh, you're both around the same, exactly the same age, you're 22, and uh, have had no experience in running a business as such or, or more importantly setting up a business, do you think at the time, looking back, do you think you thought, wow, how naive we were we? If we had known what we know now, we may never have done it because – what you don't know sometimes is, you know, what the cost of the kitchen might be and all the frigging exhaust and the DA you got to put in or, you know, all the applications, approvals you got to do and, you know, just to set up uh, drama. Yeah. Do you, did you have any sense of that at the time? Zero, zero. I didn't even know what a lease would look like. I didn't know that I'd have to commit to a five-year lease. I didn't have a clue that we'd have to go to council. I didn't have a clue that we'd have to go and, you know, source equipment and get special regulation licences and all that. I had no idea. I had zero idea. Did she? Nah, zero. Zero idea, zero idea. She was relying on me. She thought I was a businessman and I thought she was a businesswoman. <laughs> <laughs> so you both had their in total naivety and sometimes naivety is a great thing because if you over, if you know too much, you tend to overthink things, and then you don't do anything. And uh, because you didn't know anything, you, did you? What was the next step? Did you get? What, what was the first thing you did? Did you? Did you get committed to the lease first, like sign the lease agreement with the landlord, and then go shit? Look, what have we done? And now we've got to start building this business up. But what, what did you do? You know, Mark, my biggest fear was having something come in my way that was going to stop me from opening that shop. So whatever came my way, I straight away agreed and signed. You know, I thought, let me lose now. It doesn't matter. I have nothing to lose anyway. Yeah, yeah, correct. I know that was one commitment I had. So I remember signing the lease. I've got nothing, so it doesn't matter if I lose everything. What are they going to take? I lose nothing. What are they going to take? Yeah, totally. Went the next day, signed the lease in in the real estate's office. Yep. I'll never forget that. So she made me sign a lease that was... If it was going to be over thirty thousand, we had to get a, um, to see lawyers or something. So yeah, I said, yeah. Make it under that, and we agreed on something. And just so no signed. lawyers, no lawyers. Just signed away with the with one lady and just committed to the to the lease. And just yeah. get just get on with it, and then so here you go. You got a lease. You got a shop on the corner, vacant. Yep. Um, how's you? What to do next, mate? The next thing I knew is I had a friend who was uh, who was studying engineering, civil engineering at um, UTS. And when they said you need a plan, I thought I need the engineer to draw a plan for me where the ovens and where everything else goes. So I remember he was my first point of contact. 
his name is Ghazi. So I went to Ghazi and Ghazi goes, you know, you got to take this to council. I go, what? He goes, yeah, you got to get a council, mate. Or otherwise you can't open a shop. And from there it snowballed, you know, you learn about everything else and, you know, you worked out what you had to do. Yeah, but so, but you were able to adapt. I mean, obviously it didn't, did any stage go, oh, fuck, this is overwhelming. Like I'm, I'm not doing this, this is too hard. Um, Never, honestly. Where never. do you get that from, like uh, that uh, lack of over being overwhelmed? Because most people get overwhelmed. Oh, great question, mate. Great question. Oh, I don't know, just the fear of losing maybe. The fear of having nothing just dominates that, if you like. I'm, you know, like even what keeps me going today is the fear of having nothing, you know, so that's... Do you just, still feel fear that? Oh, 100%. Yeah, like everything yeah. can be taken away from you for some reason. Yeah. At a moment like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. It's funny, I was, I was playing a game of golf with Jerry Harvey. This is probably 10 years ago now, but well, maybe more, 15 years ago. And his son was there and uh, my son was there and they, they were around about the same age and we were playing golf up at um, uh, up northern New South Wales. And Jerry said to me, he said something really weird. He said to me, which, by the way, resonated with me, um, my biggest fear is that everything I've built will be taken away from me one day. Someone could just take it away, which is why... He didn't spend a lot of money on silly things like flash cars or flash homes or flash holidays and stuff like that. Like he used to drive, a, you know, just an average car and, you know, used to get it washed once a week and he and we were talking about how much he paid his car wash guy. And he told me the car wash guy had asked for an increase. This is like a long time ago. And um, he denied that request because he said, I have to, it's only a few bucks. Mm. Per wash, but he's trying to um, keep control of the money. Yeah, and I said to him, "Why?" You know, Jerry's a good fifteen years older than me, and I, I was actually curious, "Why do you do that? Why do you deny your car wash guy an extra five bucks an hour or five bucks per wash?" It was at the time, and uh, he said to me, "Because Mark, everything I've accumulated, I always actually don't feel as though it's mine. It feels as at some stage someone could come and take it all away from me. Yeah. For some reason, he yeah. said, I don't know. I can't tell you why." He said, so therefore I feel as though I've got to watch every dollar I spend and be careful with everything I spend. Is that a, a thing that resonates with you as well? Oh, absolutely. 100% it resonates with me. I mean, even this morning before I come here to see you today, I was at the markets, you know, at Flemington Markets, work it out just in case we got ripped off a couple of bucks on a couple of um, letters of boxes, you know. Yeah, yeah. So it's just, yeah, it's that fear of having, it's that fear of everything being taken away from you just in an, and I don't know, maybe um, – Growing up poor, you know, again, it goes back to, you know, just really appreciating the dollar and appreciating, you know, and I wouldn't say I'm tight, like I'm definitely not tight, but I'm definitely very wary of where my dollar is going to go because yeah. that any decision I feel can can demoralise me, can send me broke. Yeah, I, I'm the same. I, I have to be honest with you. I, f I feel the same. And I, I wonder if it's people who come from very little just have that sense that they don't, we don't feel like we deserve to have everything we've got because – we never really experienced when we were younger. This is all new. I mean, and it's, it, by the way, you know, like I, you know, I, I'm okay and I'm, I'm in good shape, blah, blah, blah for, you know, in terms of money, et cetera. But um, I don't ever feel like I deserve it I, I, because I didn't, didn't grow up with it. So therefore it's, all, it's always new to me. It's always new to me. And every time there's some, something I do well in something, um, I actually get a thrill because I – like every time it doesn't – fail to thrill me every single time and uh and sometimes I can be a bit mean with money and uh and, I, and I'm always careful because I never know what's around the corner I was explaining to someone yesterday and maybe you could sort of relate to this um when you say to somebody look you're not really experienced enough 
you're not really saying to them what you've done so far is not enough experience or skill to um, run a business. What I mean by that is you actually never know. Experience means you never know what's around the corner. I'm experienced enough to know that I don't know. In other words, I don't know. I didn't, I, I was, COVID came. I never expected COVID. I didn't know how to operate during COVID. So I was never experienced enough for something like COVID. When GFC came, the financial crisis, that again took me by surprise. I didn't know the GFC was coming and I'd never experienced a GFC um, when I experienced my first recession. So when I say to someone today, you're not that experienced, and assuming that person or well, that particular individual had never been through a recession because we haven't had recessions in Australia for a long time, you don't know how your market reacts when these yeah. things occur. And that's what I mean by you're not experienced enough until you've experienced most things and you never experience everything. It's impossible. Yeah. I've never experienced everything because I don't know what's next. You know, it's interesting what you're saying. So you're saying we're better off fighting, finding fighters ahead of people who are experienced? Yeah. You know, is that? Yeah, totally. I, 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 for me, I prefer people who are, have good fortitude, strength of character. That is more important than experience because I don't care how experienced you may have been, but you never know what it is that's going to come, come towards us. So there is no one in this whole world in business that I've ever met that was experienced for what COVID was going to present to us because we'd never seen a pandemic before. Maybe if I come out of Africa or some other place where they ha- maybe have had pandemics before like Ebola, et cetera, you might have known how to react. But all of us here in Australia, none of us had a, a clue. You know, Mark, the thing that saved me during COVID was the fact I saw it as a war. I saw it as a bit like the Civil War where I grew up. Same thing. I saw I saw people being very scared and, and sort of re- reclining or going back but not, not getting involved and I saw people jumping in. And I thought there'll be a lot of more people like me out there who'll see it as well, but will fight. I didn't realise how many people sat back and just. Well, we never experienced that, or most Australians. Yeah, yeah, I guess well, so. We don't know. We just don't know the experience of a war, mm. or we don't know the experience of a pandemic or lockdowns and that sort of stuff, or the ability, the ability or the inability to be able to move around to travel, etc., and what effects those those things have on business and you know, what you got to do when it comes down to the basics, you know, like how do you survive on basics? So someone like you does, and it's probably not as foreign to you as it would be to all of us, which is what I mean by you're not experienced, not you, but people generally speaking are not experienced enough. Because like, let's say you're setting up a new business today and you've got to go raise money for it, unless it's a technology platform. Um, but you got to, you, you know, you have all these ideas. I want to employ this person who's a specialist in that, and that person, that all costs dough. Let's say it's going to cost you 500 grand a year to run this particular business, like wages and platform fees and all that sort of stuff. I mean, if you don't have the 500,000, you've got to go raise it. Um, what you, you may well be the most skilled person in the world at your particular technology. But if you don't understand how capital markets, money markets work, you know, where the money is going and why people will put money into things and why they won't put money into things, then you're not experienced enough to, to take on that job or that business, and uh, which means you should wait. Just relax a bit. Go get a job. You know, go work at Pizza Hut and work out how the Pizza Hut work business operates yeah. and learn in those environments how does Pizza Hut get over this particular change in our landscape that's mm-hmm. occurring. It, it's not means, it doesn't mean you're a dumb or anything like that. It just means... You can just sit back and be an observer for a while. Now, observations are really important things. Absolutely. I mean, that's something you did when you went to pizza. That's what you were doing. You were sitting there, sucking the life out of the joint by observing everything they were doing. Yeah. And by 
know, being a good guy and saying, look, I'm happy to sweep up. But really what you're doing, you're not sweeping up. Yeah. You've got your eye on what they're doing. Yeah, is, that, is that right? 100% I had a hidden agenda. I had a very hidden agenda. You know, I wanted to but learn. But a positive agenda. Absolutely. It was absolutely. good for them, good for you. Absolutely, absolutely. I wanted to know why they got diced mushroom. Why didn't they cut the mushrooms themselves? Why did they get diced this? Why was this frozen? Why was this defrosted? You know, why was why things came fresh? Why we had to make dough in the morning? So I broke it all down. I kept on breaking it down. And the same thing. And I guess you do that. It doesn't matter. Once those skills are carry over to the current the current situation I'm in. So I just carry the same skills but I apply them to today's business, you know. Yeah. Running 50 stores across the country, you know, 3,000 staff. It's exactly the same, really the same skills, just being So how many, you've got 50 stores across the country now? Yeah. 50 rachets. Are, are they franchises or are they or you own them? 70% franchise. Yeah. So did you keep a percentage of the franchise? Yeah. No, no, I gave it all up. So, so like. 100% franchise to the franchisee. Right. So they own 100% of each franchise yes. and within those 50 franchises, how many staff you got? Yeah. So. Oh, well, we'd have over 3,000 staff. 3,000 so staff. So we'd knock to 3,000 staff, yeah. And, um, you know, it's just, like what I said, we're, we get 12% royalty from them. Yep. So they give us 12% royalty. And the uh, biggest, I guess, uh, uh, the the point of difference we have over other franchises is that we have a central kitchen. So we have facilities in Sydney, in Brisbane, in Melbourne, which do all the preparation in the morning and they send out to the store. So that's... Uh, that's the point of difference that we have in our franchising system. And I just want to understand the model for a second. So mm-hmm. head office, let's call it yes. head office in City Melbourne, Brisbane. Correct. Um, you have a you know premises where you prepare or cook. We prepare. Prepare, like in other words, pre-cook. It's not it's not cook. Yeah, pre-cook. Yeah. What you do, what you call the chop the up. Pre- good man, good man. It's all chopped up. Yep. Uh, then you deliver it yep. to, to them. It's the same menu. Same menu, 100% same Every, menu. every shop, every yep. store is the same menu. Yep. Like how do you know what each one might need in terms yeah. of volume? So this is where IT comes in, mate. This is yep. where it's, we've got a great IT system that we've been building. It's an in-house one that we built over the years. And we could see live. So I'm all, I'm all into live data so I could see what sales everyone is on, what stock they hold on hand, what hours, what, what labour they're using. That's the sort of – so the system talks to itself and we work out what to prepare. And obviously the manager gets to overrule the final – Order, yep. but we have a good idea. We have an eighty percent idea on what they need, what every store needs. And do you charge them for that? I mean, do you, do you say this is the food you need for your shop? Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to prep it all for you, but this is what you pay for it. Yes, yes, it's a different business. So it's yep. a, everyone knows that we own the same business. Yep, yep. But it's a it's a business that sells to Rache's. Yeah, yeah. So Rache's franchises or the franchisees buy from yep, which we call fresh food commissary. So they buy from fresh food commissary. Yep. The food that they're going to sell on the restaurant off the off the menu that you set or you, correct or the franchise or sets the head correct, franchise correct, sets correct yes very interesting I'm going to go to the break we'll come straight back because I, I want to talk about the model and um I, I want to talk about uh, Western Sydney in particular which I'm interested in and uh, and what are your plans There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Uh, Rami, just before we get into the business model, um, we've just gone through COVID and you were a little bit outspoken during that period and got yourself in a little bit of shit. Um, Take me through it. Um, what, what were you saying? I remember seeing you on telly. So yeah. what was going on? Oh, I just couldn't believe how the lockdowns, how strict they were. I didn't think the government was in touch with the people. I didn't think they understood where, um, what everyone was actually feeling, um, how disconnected people were feeling from each other. I honestly thought there was there was no connection between what really was happening in the real world, if you like, and what government was thinking. And so what, what did you do? What was your response? Morris, I just felt that I felt like the more we got into COVID, the more we were doing, the more I was, because I kept my business running. So the more I felt like it was my job, it was actually my duty, it fell on my shoulders to let people know, to let government know that, listen, guys, we need to wake up. This is, yes, there's a pandemic. Yes, there's a there's a there's a flu out there, but we people are suffering in so many other ways. And I just went out there and I was actually all gun hose, you know. I didn't want to. I wanted to. I wanted to speak for the people. So, but so, did you keep all your franchises open, even though, I mean, like, you couldn't, people couldn't leave home, so how did they operate? Yeah, so, Matt, I kept everything going. I even tried to scale up during COVID. So I straight away went out and bought more equipment. I started renovating my office. I started doing whatever I could do to keep things going. I wanted to, everyone to feel like, listen, we weren't going to die. We weren't going to go backwards. We were going to still grow. So that was, uh, Matt, I, I was... Was, were you like an anti-vaxxer or like? No, 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 zero, man. I was one of the first guys to get a jab. And yeah, yeah. So my was, family, but, everyone, it had nothing to do with a jab. It had nothing to do with, honestly, a lot of it had to do with mental health. And maybe I was protecting my mental health. And as a result, it ended up protecting other people. I hope it did anyway. Yeah, so like you wanted to, you just wanted to keep Sydney open, so to speak, or Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane. You wanted to keep the joints open. 100%. I, only, I always felt that, you know, the person who's going to be most responsible for their health is themselves. Yeah. I don't care what the government says. I don't care what the doctor says. I don't care what anyone says. No one's going to care more about Rami than Rami himself. Yeah, 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 you yeah, know yeah. what I mean? And it just, it just didn't balance in my head. It just felt like it was wrong. It just felt like we were going overboard in everything everything that was happening so out there. So what do they do to you? Oh, mate, they tried to stop me. They tried to stop me. They come to my office. Who's yeah, that? Who's the, they? The, the police come to my oh, office. really coppers, yeah. Yeah, stating that people weren't wearing masks, you know. In your office, yeah. In their office. In their office. Hey, is there a chance people were wearing masks? 100%. Was there people not wearing masks? 100%. But, hey, like, we're human beings, right? We were going to forget. But they wanted to make an example out of me. And what did they do? And they came up and they wanted to find my staff and carry on and... Mate, I was in a fighting spirit, you know, like I just stated. No one was going to walk into my office and tell me what was happening. Maybe yeah. even the Prime Minister couldn't come down and tell me what to do that day. So I stood up. I stood up for my staff. I stood up for myself. Uh, I guess they didn't They didn't, They didn't. didn't believe how much I would stand up for myself and how much I would – I think they were in shock. And They tried to – you know, they tried to stop me in their way by throwing a couple of fines at me. But at the time, Matt, that wasn't going to do it. But it's funny in hindsight when you think back. It's all bullshit because, uh, like, now more people are getting COVID than ever before and uh, no one gives a shit. 
Yeah. You don't have to wear masks. Yeah. There's no rules. I mean, unless you're going to a hospital or something, you don't have to wear masks. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's such a lot of bullshit. Like, uh, and what you said or what you did probably based on today's standards is okay. Yeah. Back then was pretty radical. It is was. that was that is that do you feel as though you are being opportunistic to build your brand during that period? I mean, was there some part of that like fuck it, I'm going to let them know I'm doing this because uh, I, be- I I believe in it. But B, by the way, Rache's as a brand is some we believe in it too, and uh, come support us. What do you think, Mark? <laughs> I think 100%. No, 100%. Of course, mate. You know, like I'm, It's an opportunity. Uh, exactly, but I don't you know. Um, you know, I don't well, know. Well, you're standing up for something. 100%. I, I knew that meant something to people. Yeah. So, but absolutely, it's not to say anything. It's uh, It comes from a good place. Yeah, you know, it's a bit yeah, like how I was yeah, helping yeah, at Pizza yeah, Hut, yeah, even yeah. so I was sleeping the yeah, floor. Yeah. And it came from a good place. And absolutely, yeah, absolutely. We stood up and, and I realised what that was doing to the brand, what it was doing for myself, what it was doing for my family. And I thought, hey, you're doing the right thing here, Rami. Yeah, so, I mean, it, 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 there was Western Sydney or parts of Western Sydney was sort of bucking the trend in that regard because, you know, like people in Western Sydney were saying, stuff you, don't tell us what to do. We're not wearing masks yeah. or whatever. Um, was that a, in terms of your, you know, opportunism and making this a statement for your brand, was there, was any part of that relating to, the Western Sydney part of your brand. In other words, I'm a Western Sydney guy or my brand is a Western Sydney brand. I mean, it's everywhere. It's Western, yeah. whatever the equivalent is in Victoria yeah. and, you know, and, and, and Queensland too. But yeah. is is that sort of playing to your audience a little bit, do you think? Yeah, I think, uh, look, they were my customers and we all come from the same, you know, that was yeah. predominantly my customers. And absolutely it was playing towards them 100%. But it was it was what I truly felt, right? And people who live out West, uh, Mark, I'll tell you right now, are we still discriminated against? 100%, mate. I don't care what anyone says. If you go to Bonnerick now and you drive down to the eastern suburbs, no offence to eastern suburbs, mate, you're in two different countries. Yeah, You yeah, know what I mean? And yeah, the same yeah. thing could be said down in Melbourne. Yeah, yeah. You could go to There's, Collingwood and you yeah. could go down to the city. Again, you live like in two different countries. Yeah. So, yeah, and absolutely. I, I think us from Western Sydney, and I say us because I lived in Western Sydney, um, I think COVID to us was yeah, it was it was something that was happening. It was but tougher can, in Western Sydney than it was everywhere else. But we already lived a tough life, so you yeah. were imposing more regulations on us yeah. when we're actually the, you know, like yeah, you know, we already seen it all. We've already we already experienced tough living every single day, yeah, and that yeah. was a hard thing. That was a hard thing. To and a lot of you come from those environments originally before you even got to Western Sydney. Mm. I mean, I, I I, it's funny, you know, like you, you don't live in Western Sydney now. Do you live, you know? You, I'm, I'm still in Western Sydney area. But a better part of Western Sydney. But <laughs> but the point is, and I'm, I'm from Western Sydney too, that never leaves you. Absolutely. Like it just, for some reason, I don't want to sound like uh, I'm trying to, you know, associate myself with something here, but that whole empathy towards what goes on Western Sydney just never leaves you. Never. And, in fact, I wear it proudly. I, I It's not something I'm... Ashamed of, yeah. I, and I'm actually proud of it. It's what, it's what makes you who you are, mate. I think but it gives I, us a lot I, of strength. It gives us a lot of. Yeah. I grew up happy in Punchbowl, where I grew up. I mean, I had a happy growing up life. You know what I mean? Yeah. Sure, I live in a better place now because I I, I made money and I chose to. I worked hard to live in a better place. I actually wanted a better spot to live. I, I'd like to be near the water and stuff like that. I, you know, and I and I do still get a little bit of guilt about that. I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I actually sometimes suffer guilt 
I, and I don't know why, maybe because I went to a Catholic school or something, maybe Catholic guild, I don't know how it all works, but sometimes I feel like, oh, shit, you got too much. And that's going back to where we started off before. Sometimes I think I've got too much relative to kids I grew up with and that I don't deserve it and that uh, – which is another reason why I then go out and protect it really hard. I hear what you're saying, mate. Same thing, mate. And that's why, honestly, like – I always protect the underdog in my business. That's the number one thing. I always protect the, you know, the person, the weakest link, if you like. That's that's my focus. And that's what makes our business what it is today, you know, just that, you know, we work from the heart. We give from the heart. I, I, I employ people that are passionate, um, ahead of experience, as you said early on. I pick people who are fighters, ahead of experience. So that's what makes the brand who we are. And that's and that speaks a lot for Western Sydney. That's what Western Sydney is about, mate. We're, we're battlers out there. That's the truth. And, and, and I think we've got to identify with that. As a, and I don't think there's anything wrong with identifying with that. Um, in terms of picking your franchisees, if someone's become a franchisee, I guess you're expanding a your franchise base. Mm-hmm. You, you're building more. You want more. more. No, 100%. We've got six stores to open right now. So, right. Yeah. So, yeah. like, when you're picking your franchisee operator, the owner, uh, do you often see yourself in them? Yeah, and that's what I look for, you know. I look for that. Again, I don't want the person to come in and wear the tie and the shirt and stand in the corner. And yeah. I'm looking for the guy that's going to get in there, get their hands dirty, you know, really really get in between their customer, get into their community. Actually, I have a very interesting clause in my um, franchising uh, document. Yeah. It says that the franchisee must work a minimum of four hours in the community. Now, cool. I don't care what that means, whether it goes down to the local barbecue on footy for soccer, plays a bit of cards, goes to the pub, as long as they're involved in their community. So that's what I look for. Their local know. community. Uh, local, that's what I mean, yes. Yeah, yeah. And uh, But when, you, when you're looking for franchisees or when you look at your franchisees, what common threads do you see between that you and your wife have back then and have now, what sort of common threads do you see in these individuals who end up signing franchises and running the franchise? Yeah, so motivated, hardworking people, people that can identify people who are going to give service to the customer. You know, we're a service-based business. Mm. So it's no good getting the smartest kid. You need the, the kid that's going to be passionate towards serving customers. So they're sort of the, threat, they're the, they're the things that I look for in a, in a franchise. And, and, but yeah, it's interesting you describe yourself being in the service business. You don't see yourself as selling a product or what, what, how does that all work? Like in terms of um, inducting people into a business, say you sign someone signs up as a franchisee, which is all fine, but then you've got to take them through a process of teaching them how you want them to be. I mean, how do you get people to sort of adopt the best practices in your business? Yeah, it's definitely service, 100% market. Like the way – and you put it perfectly, that's what we look for because we're, our cooking line is very systemized. So we have a we have a very systemized cooking line. So that's that's machinery. They can't stuff it up. They can't. It's impossible. But the service part is what, what it is, you know, and, and service might sound easy because you can't really teach it. I think you've got to, you already got to have it in your DNA. You've got to be a people lover. You've got to be somebody who who enjoys working with people. Otherwise, it's a, it's too tough to teach. You're a pretty effervescent sort of dude. Um, so, like, if you're, you're – and that's very interesting what you said. Like you said, the product line is – um it's all mechanized and, you know, based on data and, and there's a menu which is the same menu everywhere and there's a price list which is probably the same everywhere and, uh, you know, they all get the same prepared food. They all presumably can cook it the same way. Um, therefore, the only point of difference is how good they are as individuals, like weight staff. It's called weight staff. Perfect. Um, 
how do you how do you train, or how does your organisation? It's probably not you necessarily these days, but how does your organisation train these people to be good wait staff, and without taking risks of just employing franchisees taking risks of just employing six people and they're all crap? Yeah, it all start it all starts, Mark, with the very first interview. I mean, to pass the first interview of becoming a franchisee is we're looking for somebody who's very customer oriented, customer focused, people focused, and that's where it all starts. And I think once we have that, then then we take them through the normal routine of you know the first thing is getting to meet me, and I'm making sure that. I'm emphasising to them straight away what's important. And then, you know what, it's it's going to sound really funny and really simple. We get them to stand outside the restaurant and hand out balloons to kids. It's it's that simple just to show them what it's all about. And that's it starts from there. And, you know, and everything I focus on again is like. Well, for all of them, all of them. All of them or every single one of them. And we see how they react. Are they the kind of people that want to work with people? And if not, then that's when we exit and we say, you know what, you're going to fail and we don't want to take your money. We don't. We don't want to take your money. It's not like a trial, is it? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. You see yeah. it. You see it in their eyes. Yeah, yeah. You know, and you. And I, I'm lucky enough to have people who have been with me for a long, long time, for 20 years in my business, who are still people out there helping me. You know, and they they can help me identify those those people. Do you hold out like annual functions and things like that? Because I mean, a lot of people who be listening, it's like um, thinking about how how do I franchise my business? Well, you know what? It's with the fortunate with the luck with technology now, we can just like electronically, man, electronically, man. Yeah. It's daily. It's yeah. daily communicating, daily. We, you know, they have social groups where you get on there and I get in there and encourage them and work out, you know, and that's where we share our best practices. But furthermore, to your answer to your question, yeah, absolutely. We still meet up on a monthly basis, yeah. quarterly basis, and annually, of course, we get together for our normal celebrations. Well, most people don't understand how that works. So it is important to celebrate, even if you had a, a tough year, even if it was a COVID year and, like, you know, people couldn't get to your restaurant. Um, it's important to have these celebrations. And someone once told me that um, there is no one best way to reward someone. So it's not just about the revenue that they may make. Some people like the revenue that they need a certain level of revenue to live their life, but they also, some people love being recognised, in other words, amongst their peers. For some people, peer recognition at an awards night is a bigger deal than than the money they earn. They just want to be their friends to see them get a trophy or whatever it is and recognise for best customer service or whatever it might be. Do you do that sort of stuff? Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Recognition is the most important thing, especially when I say we have a surface game. Yeah. That's what, that's what, that's, they're the kind of people that we attract. We attract the people who are more interested in being recognised in, you know, than, yeah, yeah. than the financial part of it. So you, you, you hit the nail on the head, mate. That's what it's all about. It's all about recognition and whether it's a monthly recognition to our franchisees or weekly recognition to our store, to our staff in stores. That's that's Yeah, like, like the manager of the week or the staff member of the week or yeah. that within a store. Absolutely. Like a little placard yeah. and, and everybody sell it and then celebrating this. It's even gone to the next level, Mark, again, with this social media stuff. It's where we recognise customers now. So we actually go live on a Wednesday afternoon at 12 o'clock and we actually, people tell us what they think, what they think of our brand, what we should have as a special. And we would say, so Mark would appear up and, hey, and Mark wants to see a bigger schnitzel. Hello, Mark, to, you know. So Hello, you, to Mark from Eastern Sydney. Yeah, know? so you see, you, you, you put it out there, tell us what you want. Yep. And, and I'm following you on Instagram. Yeah. And then I say, look, I'm looking for like the shoes could be a little bit larger or something like that. And uh, and then you'll you'll actually call it out. I'll call it out and recognize the customer. Yeah, recognize yeah. the customer for it. Yeah. yeah. And then that's great, great way for you to get data though. It's, oh, yeah, absolutely, mate. It's a, it's, it's an it's easy market way, research. Right? It's a, 
it's the easiest way in the world. Remember yeah. in the olden days we yeah. had to give it to our, no. to our marketing company. Yeah. They had to go away, ask questions, come Cost back three fortune. months later. Now it's instant, mate. And they the had job. to interpret it and they told you interpretation. Now you can do it yourself. Absolutely. And interpreting information, is that's what it's all about, as you would know, you know. So now it's live. I could see it. People agree or disagree with a person. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's amazing what the new world is, isn't it? How deep in the weeds yeah, look, it's getting in there. It's getting there, Mark. You know, yeah. I, I still like to get in, as, involved as much as I can, but I also got to learn that I can't control everything. Yeah. Things have just got to happen on their own. Yeah. And I disconnect myself from things that I'm not really good at. So, you know, the marketing is sort of my game, so I'm close to marketing. You know, but where they find locations now, where they build locations, uh, so the real estate part of the business, the financial part of the business, I'll let, that, I'll let the experts handle that. And yeah. I've got enough people that I can trust to, and I'll continue focusing on what I'm good at. Are you and your wife still own it or would you bring investors in? Where no, are you zero investors, mate. So yeah, zero so it's, investors. You, you, it's a family business? Yeah. Still a family business. And you've got kids now? Yeah, we've got four beautiful are kids, they growing, mate. Yeah. How, are they grown up or how, what, yeah. what ages so are they? So the oldest is 14. And oh, then, they're too young now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at what stage would one of them start? Uh, do you make pizzas still at uh, Rushes? We still make pizzas so at So at what stage are you going to – do you do deliveries, by the way? We do deliveries, yeah. mate. So what stage – how old is – what's your 14-year-old boy or girl? Girl, mate. So okay. Camilla. Yeah, so what stage will she be doing deliveries? Mate, she's ready, mate. She works here during the school holidays. Good. Uh, you could see you could see her wanting to. She wants to. She wants to. She wants yeah, to. Yeah, she's yeah. got that drive and that passion. Yeah, yeah. Who does she take out for? You or mum? Oh, mate, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. By, by the sound of things, by, by the way, your your wife, who's your partner, uh, business partner as well, and, uh, pro- and your founder, co-founder, yeah. is probably just as driven as you are. Um, yeah, mate, she's driven. Look, she got to have her 10 years off, you know, bringing up the kids. She fully stayed at home. So while we're building the business, she got to build a family. It's only actually she's been back in the business now for the last three months. Well, I'm going to ask you because that's interesting, Rami. Like how, how do you manage those processes? Like and it's pretty hard, tough, A, being married, that's yeah. a big big deal, um, having, then having the family, but also being in business with somebody. They, they're like they're, they're, they're tough asks. I think she's a good boss and uh, she doesn't let me talk work at home. Um, she makes sure I'll go to work on time. And yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just let her be the winner. Let her yeah. be the boss. And all, in all honesty, mate, you know she's she controls me. She controls the my my finances. And yeah, she's pretty good there. So yeah, that's yeah. I guess by her being the boss, it's sort of it's it works itself out. It works <laughs> absolutely. And if it works, don't change it. Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So like, it's quite an interesting uh, scenario because I've always thought to myself that would be really difficult to sort of be in business with somebody, but also be in like personal partnership. But a lot of people seem to be able to do it. I mean, Jerry Harvey's a good example. Jerry Harvey does it with Katie Page. And, uh, you know, together they do it brilliantly. And, in fact, the way I see it is Katie is the boss um, and she's the managing director of anyway of Harvey Norman Group. But she is – she's quite brilliant at it and she manages Jerry big time. Like yeah. he doesn't get away with anything. Yeah, and the beauty, Mark, you know what, she understands what she's good at and I get what I'm good at and I think that's where – Yeah, you know, th- That's the part where it's just – I think it's by luck more than uh, – Do you actually say that though? Listen. I'm good at this. You, do you actually sit down and look at it in cold-hearted facts? I'm good at this stuff and you're good at this stuff. Let's just stick to our lanes. Yeah. I'll do this, you do that. No, it's not a discussion. It's not a discussion. It's just I think we know each other. It just mate. happens. We've known each other for almost 30 years now. So, you know, so it's sort of like, uh, you know, you just you just get it. You just, you know, it just works itself out. And what's what's the plans from here? What, where to from here for Rashes? Mate, um, oh, you know, aim for the stars. Uh, look, Already had chats with people overseas, so we've already spoken to people in to the Middle East. To open overseas? Absolutely, absolutely. So we've had the Middle East, interest in the Middle East. You mean like uh, Emirates or are you talking yes, about Lebanon? Yes, the UAE, Qatar. No, yeah, yeah. not Lebanon. So yeah. UAE, Qatar, yeah. Bahrain. Yeah. So they're just sort of the interests that we've had. Saudi Arabia. 
Um, and that's where that's the next step, mate. So, you know, that's hopefully we could take an Australian brand yep. globally in the very near future. And and in terms of uh, branches or franchises from here, you've got 50 here in Australia. What, what do you, where, where do you think the – Mate, oh, I think we'll cap at about 120. 100. That's sort of the number yep. we're looking at at the moment. And we've got a very, very aggressive plan in the next 12 months. So we hope to have 20 in the next 12 months built. So how's your pipeline look? It, it yeah. looks good? It looks good, yeah, man, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know – Things are going very well for us at the moment. The market is really um, – the market is liking the offering that we're putting out there. Yeah. They're enjoying the service. Well, From in terms of demand, you're getting a lot demand, of demand. 100%, yeah. But what about what about um, getting staff? Oh, wow, that's, that's a big one. It's – you know what? It, again, this is where Rochez is very fortunate today, right? It's hard to get staff, including for us. But the luck is we need unexperienced staff. You don't yeah. need to have experience to work at Rochelle's because yeah. it's a factory line. Yeah. So this is where we're sort of very for- – we've got a bigger pool to choose from if you like. Yeah, yeah. But it's still difficult. In saying that, it's still a big challenge to get staff. So what would you say to the government now that we've got the big um, government summit coming up, the job summit? What would you say to the both federal government and state government – well, state governments, There's you're in all states um, – what do, do you need immigration? Do you think we you need you and your business and everyone else in your in your industry? Do you need more immigration? Oh, hundred percent. We need to open that up. Look, I know for a fact. I got told just recently by um, a certain member that uh, you know we have nine nine hundred thousand applicants and there's only three people doing the administration work for them. So. Nine hundred thousand visa uh, and visa applicants. Yeah. Wow! And we got three people sitting in the application, you know, going through the applicants. So that's you know, I don't think government gets it. I, honestly, I think government is about 10, 10 steps or ten feet behind what the real world is like out there. And you know yourself, Mark. You know, hospitality is sort of the it's uh, it's a center of it all. It just starts there, and people forget that. You know, that's that's community start there. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And and we need yeah and we need to open the borders we need to we, we have opened the borders but we need to get through this we need to let those backpackers back in Australia yep. we need to somehow incentivize them maybe in some way we need people back and we need to keep on working on training development within schools that's very very important do you think though that we should be as a as a nation or as a state actually encouraging young people who are at school in the last two years of school for example. Not to worry about going to university, but maybe thinking, considering one day becoming a franchisee of not just Rashays, but anything, and just start to sort of indicate to these and train them at school. Like, yeah. guys, girls, you don't have to come and become a doctor or a lawyer or, you know, a comms person, but you could actually consider, and here's a training course, or here's some subjects you could do around opening up a franchise in one of five categories of food, food and beverage, or mm-hmm. what do you call it? Uh, what do you guys do? Hospitality yeah. might be an example. Yeah. Do you think that should be something we should be doing? Absolutely. Like we let kids think that they're going to be failures if they don't go to university. Yeah, yeah. You know, we, we don't open the world to them. We don't say it's okay to become a plumber, a carpenter, uh, a server in a restaurant to start your own business. Yeah. We want everyone to go to university and that's, just, and that's how the way the system is built. And that's what I mean by saying, hey, the schools need to open up a little bit more. We need to say to the guys from a young age, it's you can still make it in the world. You don't have to go to university. Well, you make more money. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Yes. And you know, what's interesting yes. about that is that a lot of the kids from places like the Western suburbs, for example, are trying to compete with other kids who all get tutored, which costs a lot of dough. And a lot of the kids who get into the university places in any event are kids who have a lot more money thrown at them to make them better at what the better at what they do. They might be hardworking kids as well as quite bright, but they become much better in their outcomes because they they can go to tutorial classes after school. And I, I actually think that there's a the 
expectation that you've got to go to university is unfair in that the people who end up going to university are the ones who have an unfair advantage growing up because yeah. they're, they're lucky enough to live in a, uh, an environment where the parents have got dough and can, you know, either spend time with them and they're not doing what you're doing, spending, you know, 24 hours a day thinking about your business, either got time to spend with them or alternatively can send them off to a tutor. So therefore, if that's going to be the case, that's fine. Therefore, we need to open up our education system to say to young kids, it's okay. You don't have to become one of those people. You don't have to compete with those individuals to go to university. There is another, it could be apprenticeship, but there is another strain too, by the way, you might want to go in the hospitality industry, for example. And this is these are the subjects we think you should be doing in years 11 and 12 to go to the hospitality industry. So that they're already got something behind them and some confidence when they leave year 12, they don't go to university, they might go and work in one of your shops. They might do what you did, go and learn everything about rashes and they might end up setting up a new franchise down the track. Who knows? 100%. And that's, 100%. What, we, that's what I'd like to see yeah. because the people from out west get a shit deal because it's very difficult to compete unless you go to James Roos or uh, the, the Westfield High or one of those sort of special schools out in those environments. To some extent, you've got Buckley's chance. Even if you are as bright as your, your counterpart in another area, you've got Buckley's chance of beating that individual because you're probably not getting the proper encouragement at home. Um, you might not have the opportunity to go and get tutorials three times a week and learn how to become better at what you're doing, learn how to actually sit an exam, and, and that all takes dough. And, and it's not the parents don't want to give you those opportunities, you know, if you're from the West. Mum and Dad, like in my case, my old man was working three jobs. He didn't have time even to sit down and talk to me just to make sure he could pay the mortgage. Not not crying poor or anything, but I'm just saying that's the shit that happens out in the West and I just think the government's got to look at that sort of stuff for the future. Not just rely on immigrants to come and take those jobs but actually encourage young people to do those jobs. Very well put. I've really enjoyed today. I've always watched you from afar, particularly during the COVID period. I thought you were very courageous and brave saying what you said and it was something I thought needed to be said. I often thought of myself as a bit unfair how they went after you, especially some parts of the media, but good on you. And by the way, what's interesting, it all turns out good for your brand as far as I'm concerned. You stood up and very few people did. Rami, really nice to meet you, mate. Thank you for having me, Mark. Pleasure meeting you, mate. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Mentor. Audio and production is by Jess Morley. And production assistants, Jonathan Leondis. 